Today on Rev Hangout, Ben and I talk about the previous two MotoGP races, the various races that took place in Long Beach this week, and the Australian Grand Prix. Let's do it. Hello everybody, and welcome back to Rev Hangout. I'm your host, Nathan Nevue, and alongside me today, thanks to the power of the internet, is my good friend and co-host, Ben Bagley. How's it going, Ben? We have color-coded scripts now. This is great. Yes, I have been a busy bee this week working on many things and trying to organize everything is kind of high up there on the priority list, so glad you like it. (laughs) It'll make it a lot easier to stay on track. Exactly. All right, and speaking of staying on track, we have got quite a bit to get through this week because oh, there were there were quite a bit quite a few races, yeah. So, we'll start with uh with MotoGP. A lot has happened in the MotoGP world in the last couple of weeks. There've been two races, with the first being in Argentina and the second in the United States. The Argentine Grand Prix was pretty quiet and fairly professional for the first for the first good chunk of it. Alessa Spargaro started on pole and was quickly overtaken by Jorge Martin. Spargaro stayed on Martin's tail for most of the race until, with about five laps left, Martin made a small mistake on the exit of a corner, and Spargaro was able to easily pass him on the following straight. Martin fought hard around the outside of the next corner, but Spargaro, with the inside line, was able to stay ahead and drive into the distance to win his first Grand Prix of his career. Spargaro now holds the record for the most races before a maiden win. The race may not have been the most exciting thing to watch, but the fans got to witness an awesome moment as Aspargaro stopped his bike after the finish line while he was being hit with a wave of emotion. Other riders stopped to pat him on the back and congratulate him as they rode by. It was awesome to see so much camaraderie in such a competitive sport. The top 10 finishers in Argentina were Alessa Aspargaro, Jorge Martin, Alex Rins, Juan Mir, Francesco Bagnaia, Brad Binder, Maverick Vinales, Fabio Quartararo, Marco Bezzecchi, and Anea Bastianini. So this was a pretty, pretty mellow race. There wasn't a ton that went on. Um, like I said, it was it was pretty much just the beginning and the end where there was overtaking. But I think that's pretty standard for Argentina. That's it's a it's kind of an odd track. So kind of generates these processional races. Um, but, you know, it wasn't too bad, and it was cool to see um, Aspargaro grab his first win. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I did watch a little bit. I wasn't able to catch the Argentine Grand Prix, but I was able to catch a little bit of the U.S. Grand Prix at Coda. Yes, the U.S. Grand Prix was much better, in my opinion. It was really action-packed from the beginning. Um, Jack Miller took the early lead from Jorge Martin on lap one. Uh, Miller then led for most of the race, and Martin fought for positions and kind of fell back through the pack. Bastianini stayed on Miller's tail for the better part of 10 laps before finally making a move for the lead down the back straight. Bastianini never lost the lead after that and won the race by several seconds. So this was a this was a much better race. Um, there was overtaking all over, especially in the midfield. Um, at the front, it did change a couple times between Martin and uh, Bastianini and and Jack Miller as well. But um, this one was much more fun to watch. There was a lot going on for the whole thing. I think the track's better. I love Coda. I think a lot of people love Coda. It's a really hard track on for uh, motorcycles, though. 
So I do, definitely. I think challenge. I actually like Coda better for MotoGP than I do for F1. It's really cool if you get much smaller vehicles on the same size track and you have a chance to see overtakes in a lot of positions you wouldn't see people in cars even dare to attempt. Cordero had some especially devious looks during his race towards the inside of some corners that were just insane. Yeah, for sure. I think Coda Coda's one of my favorites. I I played the F1 game and the MotoGP game. Uh so I've kind of gotten to see how it drives in both and Coda is like pretty far and away one of the most difficult tracks for MotoGP and it's 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 a lot of fun. You can definitely send it down, especially at the end of the big long back straight. You can send it into that one hairpin. Um but yeah, no, it was it was definitely scrappy, especially towards the end. And one of the big the big stories and uh kind of things to follow during the race was Mark Marquez, who started in ninth but then forgot to turn his pit limiter off when he started the race. And so he bogged down his engine super bad at the beginning and fell to the back of the grid. But um he was able to slowly but surely fight back all the way through the field up from I think twenty fourth or something to all the way up to sixth place by the end of the race. And that was actually incredible to watch. I've I've never seen <laughs> never seen a ride like that from the back of the pack that far up in a MotoGP race because they're so short that if you fall that far behind, it's really hard to make that ground back up. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if we're ready to talk about IMSA yet, but there's something similar in IMSA that I... Or was it IMSA? Yeah, I think it was. That I'd like to talk about. Well, I'll go for it. We are... Okay. Well, actually, first, let me go through the top 10 finishers for this race, and then we'll talk about IMSA a little bit. I don't have a ton on IMSA uh, prepared, but uh, I know you watched the race, so I'm excited to hear what you thought about it. Yes. All right, so the top 10 finishers for the United States Grand Prix were Enea Bastianini, Alex Rins, Jack Miller, Juan Mir, Francesco Bagnaia, Marc Marquez, Fabio Cordoraro, Jorge Martin, Joan Zarco, and Maverick Vinales. So let's move on to IMSA. What did, what did you think of the race, Ben? I, well, like you were saying with Coda and your uh, little bit of racing simulator experience, I really like racing Long Beach and Gran Turismo. And Forza is one of my favorite tracks. So getting to watch the DPI cars and the GT3 cars is pretty neat. Especially the DPI cars were just looking so fast. Uh, I was really liking uh, watching the, the top of the field play around, especially Alex Lynn. He had a super great race and just, just barely edged out by uh, four days. But Albuquerque had a, a rough shunt into a wall. He just failed to, he essentially just understeered into a wall, and he was able to make up a little bit of time. He wasn't that far off the race leader by the end of the race, but he was pretty far off uh, once he hit that wall, so I just really liked seeing that just big old comeback. He didn't win the race, but seeing him come so close was pretty neat. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I uh, unfortunately didn't really get to see much of the race or the highlights, but uh <laughs> There was so much racing this weekend to keep track of. I, I just couldn't keep up. There really was. <laughs> Understeering into wire or tall walls and tire walls seemed to be a major theme of the race this weekend. So it was interesting yeah, I to think see that's just a... the cars crash into a tire wall and just back out and keep going. 
Yeah, that just seems to be a theme with Long Beach, because there was a lot of that in IndyCar as well. Yep. And if you look at the results, you notice that Cadillac was able to place 1, 2, and 3 for production for DPI, which continues their trend since, pretty sure I heard it was 2014, was the last time a Cadillac didn't place first in the Long Beach race. So they've got a pretty impressive winning streak going. That is very impressive. That's what, eight years? Eight, nine years now? I'm not very good at math. <laughs> well, regardless, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. I know Cadillac's been doing really well in the DPI class this year. So looks like they're they're starting to pull away, pull a little bit of a lead out. Yeah, um, and I always forget but... just how good the IMSA cars sound versus F1. They're just throaty, which is pretty neat. But uh, we can get back to IndyCar, kind of get back on track. Yeah, uh, we can move on to IndyCar. Um, IndyCar made a return to the streets of Long Beach as well this week. This track's super tight and challenging for drivers. There's a lot of bumps, off-camber turns, slow, tight, low-grip corners. It's always a fun spectacle at Long Beach, and this week was no different. Many top drivers struggled through the narrow circuit in qualifying, and Scott Dixon was even eliminated before the second round. And in the end, Colton Herta walked away with pole position with Newgarden and Polo in tow. As the green flags flew at the Long Beach circuit, Colton Herta took an early lead of the race. He seemed to be pacing Polo and Newgarden behind and maintaining a comfortable margin. About 15 laps into the race, Polo dove into the pits for an early pit stop. Herta and Newgarden continued on for two and three laps respectively and then pitted. Herta was shocked when he watched Newgarden and Polo drive right past him on pit exit. They managed to make their pit stops work better and jumped him. Marcus Erickson clawed his way through the midfield along with fellow former F1 driver Roman Grosjean up to P4 and P5. For the second round of pit stops, Herta didn't want to get undercut again, so he pushed as hard as he could on his in-lap. He pushed too hard, which amounted to him hitting the wall and destroying his car. Erickson pitted but pushed too hard on his out-lap, resulting in him oversteering into the wall and nearly taking several other cars out with him. This gave Grosjean an opening to fight with the leaders. Grosjean passed Pelot into turn one and a spectacular run around the outside with less than 10 laps to go. Racing continued as Grosjean put pressure on Newgarden. Unfortunately for Grosjean, a late full car's caution sealed the victory for Newgarden. This was a crazy race. There was constant overtaking, constant battling all throughout the field. <laughs> um, and there were some... Some of the drivers really fought back from having pretty poor qualifying performances to to being right up there contending for, you know, the win. Um, a big example was Padua Ward. Had a really good race. He started down, I think, in P9 or 10, ended up 5th. Um, and then Scott Dixon, I think, started P12 or 13 and ended 6th. And then Grosjean with the podium. I know he started in the top 10, but he was kind of lower. I think he started 6th, but... Really cool to see Grosjean on the podium. Um, I love that he's doing well in IndyCar and enjoying it still. For sure, yeah. And Long Beach is just a really tight circuit. There's not a whole... It's kind of like Monaco. In it. There's not a whole lot of... You have to be really gutsy with your passes at Long Beach. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, there's there's not a lot of room, and so you really have to be assertive and stick your nose in and let the other driver know that you're not, you're not backing out. Yep. Um, there were a couple of really... Really good overtakes into turn one with between Grosjean and Pelot, and then there was one 
a really crazy one between uh, Alexander Rossi and um, why can't I think of his name? Uh, Felix Rosenquist. <laughs> so yeah, there were there was some some good overtaking, and it was too bad to see Herta into the wall. He was he was having a really good race, but he was just he tried so hard to win. I think he just kind of overdid it on his in lap there. Yeah, the track will the track will punish you if you go too hard in a corner, and it was the same thing with IMSA, where a lot of drivers just uh, oversteer, understeer out of a corner just because they try to take a little bit too hard, and there's not a whole lot of margin for uh, washing out on a corner. Yeah, it's it's a really tough track. Like I said, there's bumps everywhere. Turn five is really off camber, so if you hit the curb on the inside of the turn at the wrong angle, you're gonna spin off into the wall. And there were a, there were a lot of instances of that happening. Grosjean crashed really bad in qualifying doing that, and uh, there were three or four crashes in the race at that one turn. So, a uh, pretty treacherous track. But uh, we'll move on to the top 10 finishers of the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. So in first place winning the race was Joseph Newgarden, followed by Roman Grosjean, Alex Pillow, Will Power, Padua Ward, Scott Dixon, Graham Rahal, Alexander Rossi, Helio Castroneves, and Kyle Kirkwood. Alright, that pretty much wraps it up for IndyCar, so let's move on to everybody's favorite series, Formula One. The Formula One caravan made its way down under this week for the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne. This is a fan favorite track as it has been the season opening race for many years. The Albert Park circuit has undergone some changes since the last time we raced here in 2019. Some of the low speed corners have been widened and made shallower to increase the speed drivers can take them. One of the chicanes that was used to break up the back straight has now been completely removed, allowing what was once a heavy braking zone with four downshifts to now be taken flat out. This has dramatically reduced the lap time, and the pole position qualifying time was nearly three seconds lower than it was in 2019. That's pretty insane because the cars in 2019 were faster than the current cars. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, they they changed. I I only I think they changed three or four of the corners, but they pretty much just did the same thing to all of them, which was make them faster. <laughs> yeah. So, um. Yeah, quite quite the adjustment, and it seemed like it really made a big difference on how the track played out. Um, it seemed like it was way more of a challenge for a lot of people with the increased speeds going into the braking zones. There were a lot of lockups. There were a lot of people going off uh, into the grass. It was it was pretty crazy to watch. Yeah, yeah. Do you think taking more curves out of a track to make it faster makes it more interesting or less interesting? I wonder. Well, that's an interesting question. I, well, I think it really depends on so much, but, uh, the Australian, the, this, this race was fun to watch, but I think the only reason that it was entertaining was because of how many safety cars there were. Um, whereas once, once things got spread out, I'd say 10 to 15 laps after the safety car, it became pretty much a bunch of DRS trains going around. Um, yeah. and no one could really pass very easily. So uh, I I would say I would prefer that the track doesn't rely on safety cars to make racing interesting. Fair but uh, I don't know. Something can be adjusted maybe. <laughs> they They started this week saying that 
that track was going to have four DRS zones, which would have been the most of any we've ever seen. Um, there were supposed to be four, four unique DRS zones on this track, and uh, they decided before, I think, P3, free, free practice three, or maybe it was qualifying, that they were going to remove one of the DRS zones because the speeds that they were entering <laughs> a very tight corner at was, was actually ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, and so, after watching the race, I think that was probably the best idea they had for the weekends. I would say so too, because at the end of what was that DRS zone, there were all, there were still like two or three people going off at that corner, um, even without the DRS in the race. So I think it was probably the right decision. Yeah. So circling back to those free practice sessions, uh, were there any notable events that you noticed? Um, a lot of cars had problems throughout all of practice, um, and there were, I mean, Latifi and um, both Aston Martins just had constant problems. Uh, Vettel, in particular, <laughs> had a terrible weekend. He, but man, did car... we, get some, we got some good video footage out of that. Yes, we did get some video footage, we got some memes, um to add to the the fresh 2022 f1 meme pile <laughs> uh lots of lots of scooters being used and uh what do you, what do you think about the fine that sebastian sebastian vettel got he got a 5,000 euro fine for riding the scooter on the track back to the pit lane i honestly thought it'd be worse if i was sebastian vettel and all it cost to take a scooter ride on the australian grand prix track was 5,000 pounds that's I'll pay that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a kind of a nothing, nothing penalty for him considering how much money they make. But <laughs> I just found it a little bit odd. That was that whole the whole situation was weird. Yeah. But back to the performance. Um, Aston Martin especially had a, just a atrocious weekend. Their their cars had problems from left to right. Sebastian Vettel had an engine failure in one of the practice sessions and then crashed in the other two, I believe. Or he crashed out completely in one of them, and then I think he just had a couple of incidents in the other one. Yeah, But Lance Stroll also had incidents. <laughs> yeah, Lance Stroll was also an Aston Martin driver that managed to rack up a little bit more severe penalty during one of the practice sessions. Yeah, that was a Q1, actually. Q1, right. Yeah. So, uh, it's a good... It's a good, uh, good moment to move on to qualifying. In Q1, Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi crashed into each other while they were on slow laps. Latifi's car was absolutely demolished as Stroll tore off his front suspension, sending him into the wall in a high-speed spin. Stroll's car was much better off, but he needed a new front suspension before the race. This ended qualifying for both drivers, and they both started near the back. So yeah, that's where... Stroll got his penalty. I honestly thought it was Latifi's fault, so I was kind of confused. I, I thought it was a pretty, like, when I say it was Latifi's fault, I would say it, it was <laughs> very close to not being anybody's fault, but I think it was Latifi that caused the accident, so I was kind of confused when they gave Stroll the penalty. I can see uh, from a couple angles, it, it's kind of hard to tell, but from one specifically, it def you could definitely see Stroll start to cheat towards that inside breaking line and obviously it doesn't look like he did it super maliciously but a, a quick mirror check 
which you saw some of the uh, Fernando Alonso Hamlet cam footage, how often he checks his mirrors, even just checking his mirrors half as much as Alonso did during that little stretch of Hamlet cam footage, he easily would have seen Latifi coming up and either been able to avoid it or done something to, you know, avoid having that happen. But Lance Stroll's looking... I don't want to say aggressive, but he definitely had his elbows out a bit more than we've seen in the past. Yeah, I don't I don't know why that is. Uh I would agree. I think he might be he might feel pressured to push more since they're not in a great car. So, decent re- results are going to be way harder to come by. Um but uh that's really it, it is interesting. Lance Stroll has been on his defenses, especially during the race, it was kind of there were some sketchy moments. But uh, we'll keep talking about qualifying here. Um, as qualifying resumed, Alex Albon slowed dramatically after his lap, and eventually came to a halt on the side of the track. It was later announced that he had been disqualified from qualifying because his car was unable to provide a one-liter fuel sample. It seems as though Albon simply ran out of fuel after his run, which was very odd and doesn't happen too often in F1. Albon uh, started from 19th place as Stroll did not qualify. He was also uh, Stroll was also handed that three-place grid penalty. So, yeah, that that was that was a kind of a Seb and hungry last year moment, <laughs> where <laughs> car was out of fuel and couldn't provide enough fuel to make sure it wasn't cheating. So, they uh, yeah. they disqualified him. Yeah, that's still super interesting to me the whole, all the regulations and rules surrounding that, especially after watching IMSA and IndyCar, where refueling's pretty normal, they don't really have to worry about checking to make sure they have at least one liters of fuel at the end of the race. Or at least, if they do, I've never seen it be a problem, because they fuel up pretty often. Right, that's one of the big differences between F1 and a lot of other sports, is uh, the refueling. There's no, no refueling allowed in F1 because of some unsafe things that have happened in the past. Uh, But that hasn't stopped pretty much every other major series from keeping the refueling in place. Um, A lot of them have some safety rules in place that have made refueling a much safer process than it used to be. But IndyCar, for example, has not moved over to that that system and I think they could they would need to modify their engines because their engines aren't built to run for that long on one fa- one tank of fuel yeah it'd make the the cars a lot heavier too and they would change weight so dramatically over the course of their laps especially since you know they're going for for example the Indy 500 they're going for 500 laps or uh, it's 200 laps 200 dang it I knew it <laughs> uh 200 laps oh, that's embarrassing but, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of fuel to have to carry on board compared to F1. So, I don't know. I always think it's interesting when drivers get penalized for fuel consumption and not having enough to provide fuel samples after the race, but just another difference. Yep, but uh, the rules are the rules. Um, so, yeah, it kind of sucked for Alvon, but as we'll learn later, it didn't end up all bad. <laughs> all right, so we'll move on to Q3 which was pretty hard fought between Leclerc and the Red Bull drivers. Verstappen put up a solid time on his first run, but that was quickly bested by Sergio Perez, who beat Max's time by one one-thousandth of a second. 
This gave the Red Bull driver duo an advantage as the end of the session approached. Leclerc put in a massive lap, gaining a 3 tenths advantage on the Red Bulls, and then Perez came back out to give it another shot. His second lap brought him so close to Leclerc as he crossed the line one one-thousandth of a second down on his time. Verstappen went out for a final lap along with Leclerc. Ultimately, Verstappen improved on Leclerc's second lap, but was once again bested by almost three-tenths of a second as Leclerc crossed the line with a 117.868 for pole position. So Q3 was pretty pretty fun to watch. It went really it went back and forth the entire time. Like at the beginning you thought Perez was gonna be on pole by one one thousandth and then all of a sudden the Ferrari comes out of nowhere and puts up three tenths. Yeah, it almost felt like Ferrari was just kind of waiting for Red Bull to set a target time and then they could just tell Leclerc to go out and beat it and he would. Yeah, it kinda of, that kinda of sums up the weekend actually. Leclerc was absolutely dominant for the whole thing. The Ferrari just looked so fast. Yeah in did, Australia. Did their cars get faster? I don't know, but they they look like they've taken a step pat like past Red Bull, but that could just be that could just be the track too, because it's a very high power track now, so it's not gonna be Red Bull's forte really. It could be, uh, yeah. Whereas Ferrari, I think, has the better engines. They they uh they had the advantage, but Red Bull still looks fast. So I think at the right track, they can still they can still win. But let's talk about the race because that's where a lot of the <laughs> the main talking points come out of. Yeah. So we'll start. We're gonna try and go a little more <laughs> in order this time. I, I know in the last few episodes we've been skipping around all throughout the race. So real stream of consciousness. <laughs> let's start with the first 10 laps uh the start was pretty pretty mellow there wasn't a ton of action going on compared to other starts um but science had a bad start and that kind of led to his dnf really because he started on the hard tires and got just a terrible start went into anti-stalt twice he said in a post-race interview which completely set him back. I think he lost four, five, six places. Um, and then on lap two, he was trying to make a position back up, but his hard tires just weren't weren't heated up enough yet. So the uh, he lost grip, went into the grass, and spun out, and then uh, beached himself in the gravel. Yep, the first of many overshoots or undershoots on turns on this course. Yeah, I think the changes have, have made it much more difficult, for sure. The braking zones are way more precise and way harder. <laughs> so, that's one big change. Um, but moving on, Verstappen cut off Perez after after their start. Kind of, kind of screwed him over a little bit. Because um, Lewis was able to kind of dive down the inside of Perez and take that position. So Lewis ended up in third place at the end of lap one. And then Lando got a bad start, and George Russell got a pretty good start. And so Russell ended up passing Lando Norris as well. So, yeah, yeah start of the race was not too crazy, but still some interesting, spicy stuff happening. Um, one interesting thing, when, when Sainz crashed, Lance Stroll pitted twice under the safety car. Uh, it was it wasn't immediately obvious why, but um, they said later that 
he cycled to the mediums for his first pit stop and then cycled back to the hard tire on his second pit stop to get the the two tire rule out of the way so i think he was i think he was planning on going to the end on those hard tires after the yeah. second pit stop essentially the opposite of williams plan for albon which for albon yeah. ended up working and netted them points but it's kind of the inverse of that where they just wanted to get the tire change out of the way while they could which was pretty smart move. That's not something a lot of other teams thought of, and I wonder if other teams had tried it, what their results might have been. Yeah, I I almost wonder if it was just that the Aston Martin's too slow to make that work because there were so many safety cars in the race that I feel like a faster car going on that strategy would have made it work better better because they would have gained positions during the safety car periods. Yeah, and everybody or... else was diving in the pits, but. Yeah, maybe they were seeing Stroll so happy to defend that they thought, well, maybe he has the capability to defend for, you know, another 55, 56 laps. Maybe. <laughs> Get him nice but, and bedded uh, in. Yeah. So after that, Perez overtake to overtook Hamilton on lap 10 for the first time. He Perez overtook Hamilton a couple times throughout the race. Um but it was at this point in the race, about 10, 15 laps in, that uh, some of the drivers started complaining about their tires going off, especially the, star- the drivers that started on the mediums. Um, it seemed like the medium tire was just really, really bad for tire wear at this track. It, there were several drivers throughout, like even towards the end of the race, that just completely fell off on pace because the medium tires just completely went away. Yeah, I'm not really quite sure what was going on there with the mediums. I don't. I can't pretend to know much about tire chemistry. <laughs> yeah, me neither. That's that's not not my field. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Max ended up pitting on lap 19 to uh, go on to the I believe hard tires, and then Perez pitted a lap later on lap 20. I think the Red Bulls were going for an undercut on the cars ahead. Um, on lap 21, the McLarens both came in and, uh, or it was, it was one after the other. Um, but then a couple laps later, Leclerc and Hamilton boxed and were able to get out ahead of the Rebels. So their undercut plans did not work out. (laughs) Yep. So a little bit of a shame for Red Bull there. Uh, Perez had to re, re chase Hamilton down and pass him. Um, so on lap 23, Sebastian Vettel actually got too much on the curb and, uh, too much on the power, spun out, hit the wall, destroyed his front wing, and, uh, that was the end of his race. (laughs) He stopped on the side of the track and, uh, safety car came out. So yeah, poor guy. He had a rough weekend. Yep. After three races, he's gotten 23 laps in overall. (laughs) Yeah, it's not not been the start of the season he was hoping for. What do you what do you think he's uh what do you think he's going to do if if things don't really change for Aston Martin? MotoGP probably. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we saw a little bit of his uh experience. That would be that would be quite the move. The man can clearly handle a scooter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got the track time now. He's got the two wheels experience, so yeah, maybe Vettel to MotoGP. But yeah. could you imagine MotoGP at Albert Park? 
Absolute that would be nuts. Mess. <laughs> that would be. That would, I don't think that would go very well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Vettel crash caused a safety car, but Perez before the safety car came out was able to get past Lewis Hamilton. So he retook that position, and then the safety car came out literally like three seconds later. So he kind of got lucky; didn't have to defend it at all. Yep, he's. But, I'm calling uh, that safety karma. Uh, it seems he's zeroed out on that because uh, at the start of the season he really struggled with the safety cars. He kind of got shafted by it last time, and this yeah. time it actually it saved him and helped him and inevitably end up with a second place. Yep, so safety car karma comes back and helps him out a little bit. And speaking of safety car karma, uh, Russell got some good karma. He he pitted out onto the safety car to come out P3, so he jumped up two spots for free um, onto the hard tires, I believe. So that was pretty good for him, but then eventually, about 10 laps later, Perez passed Russell for p2 or p3 wait did russell come out p2 or p3 because it was leclerc oh no verstappen was still running at this point so he came out p3 verstappen p2 and leclerc p1 it was midnight Um, when we were watching this i yeah it was (laughs) it's all foggy (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was midnight here in the u.s united states when we were watching this so uh, along with the people in England, I'm sure none of us remember everything quite clearly. <laughs> kind of blacked out after probably about lap 41. <laughs> yeah, honestly. But, uh, yeah, so after Perez passed Russell on lap 36, it looked like it was going to pretty much just stay the same until, out of nowhere, Max Verstappen's engine failed on lap 39. And, and now you were say out of that... nowhere, but statistically, if you look at trends, after this race, Verstappen will now be more likely to have an engine failure than to complete a race. That is true. If we look at statistics, then we can't really be surprised anymore about engine failures <laughs> at the moment. However, <laughs> uh, this particular time, there was nothing wrong with the engine until there was. <laughs> yes. So... Yeah, uh, the Crofty, Crofty was saying that Red Bull didn't know anything, and they were, Max basically said he smelled some fluid, something leaking, um, and then five seconds later he was stopped on the side of the track, so kind of a weird, weird situation for Red Bull. I don't really know what happened, if it was an oil leak or some hydraulic problem. After the race, uh, it seemed that it was an external fuel sender issue on the car oh yeah yep okay but different from the fuel issue that they had uh the first race right because that was a vacuum problem and they they seem to have solved that so okay moving on to uh the next section of the race um not too much happened after verstappen went out it wasn't too exciting towards the end except for some cool midfield battles but uh speaking of midfield battles lance stroll got a five second penalty for weaving on the straight um he was defending from Bottas on the pit straight 
And uh, when Bottas went to make a move, Stroll completely cut him off and then did it again. And it was really sketchy, and so I agree that he needed a penalty for that. <laughs> it's very polite of you to call Aston Martin anything related to a midfield battler at this point in the season. Well, you know, <laughs> I think the teams are a little closer than in previous seasons. Yep. Aston uh, Martin is, if you remember, after this race, still the only team without any points for the season. This is true. So, I mean, obviously they have to get on top of stuff. I don't know if you can really call them back markers yet, but I mean, we were we were calling McLaren back markers two weeks ago, or two <laughs> races ago, and now they're, you know, finishing fifth and sixth. So, uh, you never know. It's early on in the season. We're only three races in into a twenty-three race season, so there's so much that can happen. Um, I'm sure a lot's going to change. But towards the end of the race, Batas uh, passed Stroll on lap 52. Um, Fernando Alonso, who kind of got shafted by safety cars and just ended up with a terrible strategy. His tires went off the cliff at the end. He was on the mediums, and they got all grained up, and uh, he dropped he dropped like six or seven places in like ten laps. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, his tires weren't the only thing that went off a cliff. <laughs> yeah, that was not not great to see for Alonso. Um, but one of the big stories of the race was Alex Albon going super long, longest stint to the race. He waited until the last lap of the race to make his first pit stop for soft tires. <laughs> yeah. Quite quite the drive. Uh, that's not an easy task, but he did say that the Williams really likes that compound of tire. So, you know, I'm glad he was able to make it work. Yeah, me too. It was cool to see Albon get points for Williams so early into his drive for them, especially off of coming out of essentially a, a short hiatus from formula. I mean, he was still helping out with Red Bull, but he wasn't doing necessarily any formula one driving for an entire year before he got into Williams. Yeah, it's really nice to see him come back. I hope that he has a good season because he, 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 along with Gasly, kind of got the short end of the stick with Red Bull, and it was really detrimental to their careers. So uh, it's good to see him doing well, scoring points. He scored his first point for Williams this race. Um, so Williams is now no longer in 10th place in the Constructors' Championship. They are in 9th, which is a difference of tens of millions of dollars. So, you know, take what you can get. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that was that was pretty much the whole race. Um, I'll go through the finishing order, and then we'll uh, talk about some other stuff. So the finishing order at the Australian Grand Prix was, in first place, Leclerc. Second, Perez. Third, Hamilton. Followed by, or sorry, wait, third wait, was wait, Russell. Wait, wait. <laughs> What's up? Oh, no, I was just... You, you swapped him. I yeah, swapped misspoke. Him. Yeah, sorry, my <laughs> bad. First was Leclerc, second Perez, third Russell, followed by Hamilton, Norris, Ricardo, Akon, Bottas, Gasly, Albon, Joe, Stroll, Schumacher, Magnussen, Tsunoda, Latifi, Alonso, Verstappen, Vettel, and Sainz. The fastest lap went to Leclerc, and the driver of the day also went to Leclerc. 
So fastest laps of the day went to Leclerc. He set so many. Yeah, <laughs> he was talking for the whole race about how he wanted to 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 pit at the end onto the soft tires to go for the fastest lap. But every time he said that, he had the fastest lap. <laughs> My dude, you already have the fastest lap. Yeah, they were. His engineer had to tell him like. <laughs> You've got the fastest lap, and we're pretty sure no one can beat it, so we're not going to pit you at the end, but he kept asking. <laughs> so, But regardless, he got it, um, and his fastest lap was set on the last lap of the race, so he got what he wanted in the end, I guess. He just didn't get the soft tires. <laughs> but moving on, let's talk about some general stuff that we got from this race, which... The first big thing is questions con and concerns revolving around Red Bull's engine. Because this is now, what, Max's DNF two of the three races, Sergio's yep. DNF one of the three, and <laughs> all three DNFs were engine-related. <laughs> yep. So, what does this mean for the future of Red Bull? Well, it means some pretty fun, meaningless statistics for, you know... The next couple of weeks, Max Verstappen is now 100% statistically guaranteed to win any race he finishes. Um, this year, Perez yes. now has <laughs> more points than Verstappen. I think at this point. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'll have to come up with some more uh, later on. Yeah, the interesting uh, statistic and record that I'm following right now or I, I plan to follow, uh, is Max <laughs> has finished, like, he's either DNF'd or finished first or second in the last, I don't know how many races, like, since the beginning of last season. So he's either finished first or second or not finished the race. It's yep. pretty crazy. <laughs> Another crazy thing, uh, Leclerc got his first Grand Slam, which I looked yes. it up just to make sure. It's first place for qualifying, so pole position, first place for the actual race, leading every single lap, and getting fastest lap. Yeah, I mistakenly thought that he got that in Bahrain, but he did not. This was his first Grand Slam. Yep, he, the, the hardest one is you got to lead every single lap of the race. Yeah, that's big because... Uh, it doesn't take pit stops into account, so you basically have to get a full pit stop gap between you and the second place car before you can pit to get that uh, that criteria met, which yep. is not an easy task. Yeah, luckily, it didn't really seem to be a huge problem for Ferrari. Yeah, they had a lot of pace. Um, Leclerc had tons of pace. Sainz kind of struggled this weekend. Obviously, he... Had a bad qualifying. He got screwed over by a red flag. Um, and then uh, missed out kind of on his second lap. So his qualifying was poor. And then he was not able to make it up in the race and ended up not finishing. So Sainz had a rough weekend. But the good news for Ferrari is that it still looks like their car is far and away the best on the grid. Yep. Yeah, now Sainz just needs to get some pace to keep up with his teammate. Yeah, I really want to see them duke it out this year because I really think Sainz is really good and underrated. Yeah, he got he scored higher than Leclerc in the drivers' championship last year, so we I, have no reason to believe that he can't be competing with Leclerc for drivers' championship this year. Yeah, but speaking of fast cars, McLaren has come back in a major way. 
I don't know if this is a permanent thing, but it seems that they they have figured out at least part of what their problem was. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yes. Whatever that was. Yeah, I th- I don't know if it was really because they were having problems with their brakes in Bahrain. I don't know if that was just really that much of an issue, or or what the deal was. Um, in the post race interviews, Lendo is still pretty negative about the way things are going, and he says that the car's still not where he needs it to be, and you know they've still got a lot of work to do. Daniel Ricciardo's a little more positive and taking taking positives from this race, which I think yeah. is kind of the way he needs to. Everybody needs to go, but uh, yeah, I'm just glad McLaren isn't. You know, because <laughs> we were thinking that after the first race, like, is McLaren the worst car? Yeah, we went into emergency mode there. We're like, oh no, McLaren's a backmarker. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, McLaren is the new Haas. Like, what what's going on? But uh, thank goodness that doesn't seem to be the case as much anymore. So yeah. hopefully they they can bounce back uh, and continue this this good run. They finished uh, fifth and sixth this yeah. race. They're a little upside down, but it seems all it took was a a trip to Australia to get them right side up again. There you go. Exactly. It was such low hanging fruit for a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's 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 there. I expected. <laughs> but uh yeah Albon scored his first point for Williams so that's good for them really good for the constructors championship because who knows if Aston Martin will even score a point this year but There's uh way to find out right <laughs> watch more races <laughs> but another so that was good for Williams but I am concerned about Nicholas Latifi and his abilities in the car because he has been terrible this season yeah, He's especially all next the time. to Alex Albon, who, as we discussed, scored his first points in Williams after his third race with the team. Yeah, after a year out, like Albon, Albon's a, I, I've always thought Albon was a really good driver. Um, so he comes in and he's, you know, easily beating Latifi. Uh, but it's just crazy the the amount of times that Latifi is crashing and destroying his car. Like, Williams and Aston Martin have probably the highest repair bills of everybody so far this year. Maybe Haas, too. But uh, <laughs> it's just like he needs to stop putting them in the wall because they can't afford that. Yeah, we're in cost cap era. You, you can't afford that anymore. Yeah, so I'm hoping that for his sake that he steps it up and kind of gets a handle on the car in the future because he's not really guaranteed in that team anymore like he was when uh, the Williams family still owned it. Um, yeah. Because he he's a paid driver, so he uh, he brings a lot of money to the team, but Doralton Ventures doesn't, they don't need the money like the Williams family did. Yeah. So uh, Latifi's really just fighting for his spot on merit this year, and if things don't change soon, I don't see him having a seat next year. If we were to dive into speculation land, mm-hmm. who do you think... Latifi will be replaced by next season. I think that depends on if Sebastian Vettel retires. But, <laughs> uh, I, well, Oscar Piastri is almost assuredly going to be in F1 next season. That's the hope. He was the F2, the, the F2 champion last year. Um, and then it, it would be interesting to see, uh, maybe another F2 driver. Um, there's a couple of 
of really talented, like Dennis Hauger is one that comes to mind. There's some really talented people in F2 right now that uh, could easily slot into a spot like in Aston Martin or Williams. But I think Piastri has the first ticket. Like, if you listen to the interviews with him and all of the other drivers, all the F1 drivers are saying, yeah, you'll be on the grid next year. We'll see you. We'll race you next year. Like, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. it seems pretty obvious to me that his his ticket's pretty well punched. He just kind of got unlucky with uh, how the musical chairs of the silly season played out last year. Yeah. Do you think Aston Martin would choose him over the reserve driver, Hulkenberg? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't, <laughs> I love Hulkenberg, but I, <laughs> I don't think he can come back. I think there's too much talent in F2 and yeah. he's had his shot. He was in F1 for like 10 years. So, yeah. So as much as I love the guy and want to see him do well and want to see him score a podium, um, I don't think he's going to come back full time, but I could be very wrong. And that's, what's fun about the silly season. They have surprised us with with uh other things <laughs> like yep. that we've been we've been very wrong for the past couple months so exactly always always room for us to misinterpret things yep um but uh speaking of us being wrong mercedes well i guess we weren't really wrong but mercedes found pace this weekend and they were uh a lot closer to red bull i'd say than in previous weeks yep yeah, yeah, do you think that's due to mechanical changes, or do you think that's drivers finding more pace uh, with how they drive the car, specifically? I think it's actually the drivers finding more pace. Uh, I don't know how many mechanical changes have really been introduced into the Mercedes. I'm sure a couple, but uh, I think they're figuring out how to set the car up because they aren't porpoising, like, bouncing around on the straights nearly as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. And it seems that the interesting thing about that is it seems it's different for every car and for every track, depending on the setup, because Ferrari never really had problems with porpoising, or not not like not like Mercedes did, but Ferrari looks like they were about to like catch air <laughs> yeah. with how much they were bouncing down the straights. Yeah, it almost um, seems like for Ferrari the porpoising is more a measure of how fast they're going, whereas for other teams it seems to be more of a struggle with aerodynamics. Right. It's almost like it's an inevitability depending on, you know, how fast you end up going. But it only really happened on the two straights. Um, so, you know, it was only a couple seconds each lap at the end of the long straights. But still, it couldn't have been very comfortable. No. <laughs> Sitting in a car that's super static and <laughs> bouncing like that. So, um, really good job to the Ferrari <laughs> drivers for you know, dealing with that and uh, driving as well as, well, at least Leclerc did. Yep. But. Yeah, but for our, or Mercedes, rather, was looking pretty good, especially Russell. He's been surprisingly good this entire season. He's been right there with Hamilton, and that I think that's partially due to the, the cars being a little bit worse. It kind of brings him down to an even plane, but I think it's also just Russell being pretty fast in these cars. Yeah, Russell has definitely been doing very well this season uh, in comparison to Lewis Hamilton. Russell is in second place in the Drivers' Championship, whereas Hamilton is down in fifth. So, yeah, he's been he's been killing it. I would I would love to see Russell beat Hamilton this year. That, that would, would be, be quite the upset. 
yeah, that would shock a lot of people and uh, make quite the statement. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how Hamilton would take that and what he would do. Leclerc Russell Perez WDC. Yeah. That would be chaos. Maybe. That would be. <laughs> but uh, speaking of which, let's move on and talk about talk about where the standings lie after after the Australian Grand Prix. So in first place is Ferrari, second Mercedes, third Red Bull, fourth McLaren, fifth Alpine, sixth Alfa Romeo, seventh Haas, eighth Alfa Tori, ninth Williams, and tenth Aston Martin. So Mercedes moves up. Right now they stay the same. They were in second. Uh, they actually extend their lead on Red Bull and cut Ferrari's lead. Mercedes scored more points than any other constructor this week, which kind of is uh, surprising considering how the race went. Consistency but, is key. Yep, exactly. Third and fourth is better than one person getting first. So, um, yep, McLaren's up into fourth, passing Alpine. So that's that. That was their big jump. They were in ninth, I think. Well, no, they weren't. They were in seventh or eighth. But yeah, still a pretty big jump for them, which is good to see. Um, it'd be nice to see a McLaren Alpine fight this year. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the driver standings. First, we have Leclerc, then Russell, Sainz, Perez, Hamilton, Verstappen, Akan, Norris, Magnussen, Bottas, Ricardo, Gasly, Tsunoda, Alonso, Joe, Albon, Schumacher, Stroll, Hulkenberg, and Latifi. So, <laughs> notably, Sebastian Vettel is still not in the official standings because he has not officially completed a, uh, a race. Very impressive. Yeah, so we're now three races in, and Seb still isn't on the board at all, <laughs> which which is uh, too bad. But uh, hopefully he can break that trend in a couple weeks. Yep. Uh, it's interesting, Verstappen in sixth. Uh, behind Hamilton and Perez, that's, I mean, not really surprising considering he's DNF twice in the first three races, but, Yeah, you know, it's almost more well, of a testament to how high he is, having only completed one race this season. Which was a win, yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, it's it's uh, quite the interesting interesting standings we got right now. It'll, I'm sure, settle out. Uh, settle down a little bit more as the season goes on, but especially not what we were versus Latifi. Hulkenberg, seems... was, yeah, Hulkenberg <laughs> will probably stay the same. Latifi honestly, standings. <laughs> yep. I wonder how long that'll stand. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, let's move on to our segments. Uh, first off, we've got the overtake of the week. This week, I gave it to an IndyCar overtake. As opposed to last week, um, I gave it to Alexander Rossi for his overtake on Felix Rosenfist at Long Beach. He sent it, absolutely sent it from way back down the inside into turn one. Um, Rosenfist turned in into into Rossi because he wasn't expecting it, him to really send it from that far back. But uh, he did, and it stuck, and uh, no penalties were assigned, so uh, it counts. But yeah, quite. <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. That was really the biggest 
biggest overtake I saw this week uh, of everybody. But Mark Marquez also had some contenders in his in his race because he he sent it down the inside on his uh, MotoGP bike as well. So moving on to my favorite segment, the Pit Stop Championship. This week we had another battle between Red Bull and McLaren. Red Bull came out on top. Um, the top 10 pit stops and the point scorers were Perez, Norris, Hamilton, Latifi, Leclerc, Ricardo, Stroll, Verstappen, Joe, and Alonso. The fastest by Perez was 17.434 seconds. And the slowest was, uh, the slowest point scoring one was by Alonso at 18.394 seconds. I'm just getting my calculator out so I can tell you the spread real quick. That is a spread of almost a full second, 0.96 seconds. So quite a difference between first and tenth. Yeah, it seems the broadcaster is getting a bit better at putting up the times so through the actual time the car was stopped as well. Yeah, they they still have stuff to work on. Though. There were some weird moments with the broadcast during the race. Uh, we had some... Some moments where we only got like one or two frames of of a picture before we moved on to the next sh- next shot, and then we had some other ones that were just still pictures that stayed on the screen for like five to ten seconds. It's an artistic choice. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I think Sky Sports has some stuff to get on top of with their graphics and their race direction, but you know it wasn't too bad. Uh, we're definitely seeing more of the fights than we used to in the past in the midfield, especially. Um, Yep. They have done a better job at selecting which shots they take. It's just uh, putting them together that seems to be the struggle right now. Yep. So hopefully they can get on top of that. But uh, we will move on to our race predictions for the Australian Grand Prix last week that we or two weeks ago that we made. So I will start. I predicted. First, Leclerc. Second, Verstappen. Third, Sainz. Fourth, Ocon. Fifth, Alonso. And my dark horse was Perez. <laughs> yeah, so I had Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez, Sainz, Russell, with my dark horse as Ricardo. So that neither was... of us did too well. No, that <laughs> was really bad. You got yeah, first it's... place, but Verstappen didn't finish. Sainz didn't finish. Um, yeah. Perez ended up getting second. Yeah. To to uh, remind everybody, the first five were Leclerc, Perez, Russell, Hamilton, Norris. Yeah. So we were we were quite a bit off, but I don't think we could have really predicted Verstappen and Sainz DNFing. Which then, I almost prefer. Yeah. It's much more it's exciting when our predictions are completely wrong. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, no, Akon and Alonzo I had way up there, but they did not do well this week. Alonzo had a rough race. Uh, I think Akon Akon scored... Akon was in the points, right? He got seventh, yes. So oh, he, he, nice. did okay. he did okay, but Alonzo especially had a, had a kind of a brutal race. But uh, for my fastest lap prediction, I said science, and that absolutely did not happen. <laughs> He definitely had the fastest race, though. Uh, came out to under five minutes. 
Yes. <laughs> Fastest race. If I if I had that as my prediction, I would have nailed it. There you go. But new new idea quite. for a segment right there. <laughs> Fastest. Shortest race. That's a good <laughs> idea. Shortest race championship. Yeah, the DQ championships. <laughs> yeah, so what'd you have for your fastest lap? I had Leclerc. Well, there you go. A rare for win you. for the Ben team. There you go. Nailed it. Driver um, of the day, we were both wrong. Driver of the day, we both said Daniel Ricciardo, and I don't think he was even in the top three. Nope, which I honestly really expected that to not be the case, but okay, Yeah. fair enough. His home race, and there was a record attendance at the uh, Australian Grand Prix. Um, but no, he did not win driver of the day. It was given to Leclerc. Um, so Leclerc just with the clean sweep, Grand Slam. Yeah, bad internet in Australia, out. I guess. What's that? <laughs> bad internet in Australia. They just couldn't get on to vote. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we we're both wrong on that one. Yep. So let's talk about the uh, the next race. The Emilia Romagna Grand Prix is set to take place in Imola, Italy, on April twenty fourth. Hold on, this I need will be... to look up the uh, the full name for this race really quick. Oh yeah, you do that for sure. I just shortened it because yeah. I wasn't about to try. <laughs> What's it called? But uh, while you're doing that, uh, this will be the third race back at this legendary track since it took a long sabbatical. And I'm very interested to see how these Grand Effect cars handle this brutal track. There's a ton of bumps, hills, high-speed turns that can really take a toll on the cars and the drivers alike. Okay, I got so, it. Okay, what, what is the full official name of the Grand Prix? The then? next race will be in Italy at the Formula 1 Pirelli Grand Premio del Made in Italy e dell'Emilia Romagna 2022. I'm sorry for mispronouncing that. <laughs> I think that's about as as, as uh, well as any anybody who doesn't speak Italian can do. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, no that that this race is kind of known for having an extraordinarily long long name, uh, kind of like IndyCar races. I feel like IndyCar races with all their sponsorships have really long names too. Yep. But uh, so let's let's talk about what we think is gonna happen at this bumpy, long, fast track. <laughs> so top five, you went first last time, so I will go first this time. My top five, I am going to say. Uh, Sainz, Verstappen, Perez. Russell, Hamilton, and no then way. Dark Horse, Norris. Are you predicting a Leclerc DNF? Leclerc DNF. Oh my god, you sadist. Yep, something like that. Well, I'm going <laughs> to predict the opposite. I predict that Leclerc is going to drain the life force of the Tifosi once they're in Italy. Set <laughs> the fastest lap in history at this track for first place. We'll have signs afterwards... Uh, he gets some of the backdraft off, backdraft off of that, and Leclerc gives him a toe to second. And then I think I'll have Russell after that. And then, let's see, that's three places. In fourth place, I'm going to put Perez. And in fifth place, I will put Norris. I think Verstappen will fail to finish this race again. <laughs> As we mentioned, the statistics just really suggest it at this point. 
And yes. my dark horse, Bottas. Bottas. Interesting. I like it. I like it a lot. Bottas has been doing really well. I can't be predictable anymore. It's hurt me too often in the past. Yeah, it's it's kind of you, you kind of just got to shoot for the shoot for the moon and hope it hits it. Yep. <laughs> but uh so that's our top 5. Let's go to fastest lap. I'm going to say Verstappen. Uh again, I think Leclerc is going to use Tifosi life force to punch a hole in the air and get fastest lap. Okay. Do you think uh, Leclerc is on for his second Grand Slam? Mm, no. No. Not quite. All right. Uh, so, driver of the day. Who do we think it's going to be? I will say... I will say... Lando Norris. Any explanation? I think he'll have a bad qualifying and a good race. Okay. I am going with Leclerc because it's Italy. He's a young, good looking guy and he races for Ferrari. Sounds like somebody's on the hype train a little bit, but you know. <laughs> I'm just using the statistics, like I said. Okay. That's fair. You really like those statistics. I don't know how that how well that's gonna treat you though in the long statistics run. Statistics never lie. This is what I've learned during my life. Yes, but do you have enough of a uh of a data pool? There's only three races so far. I mean, it's just really strong data. Well, you know, I can't argue <laughs> with that. <laughs> All right. If anybody um, who listens to this is actually a mathematics major statistician, I promise I'm joking. I promise I've taken math before. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so far, every every uh, every finish is statistically significant, right? That's how that works. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, that's, that's all, that's all we've got for today. So do you have anything you want to add before we sign out, Ben? No, uh, follow RevPang on Instagram and all the other social media. If you want to see more statistics and follow OIT racing, if you want to see more student build race cars. Yes. Um, to kind of piggyback off of that, I have a very exciting announcement to make, which is that we now have a website, which is full of the current standings and a lot of the series we cover. I am trying my best to add more every day, but uh, there's a lot of a lot of things going on in the world of racing right now. So go check that out. Um, I'm really happy with how it's looking right now. Um, so I would be really, really, really happy if you went and took a look at it but uh with all that being said thank you everybody so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode of rev hangout leave a like or rating on the platform you listened on it really helps us out if you'd like to follow our daily thoughts and opinions on all things motorsports like ben said follow us on instagram and twitter at rev hang media like yep. i said before our website is out it is called revhang.com uh, we've got a bunch of tables with all of the different F1 standings as well as IndyCar and MotoGP with more to come soon. So definitely go check that out. Um, and we will be back in another two weeks after the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix in Italy. But until then, I have been Nathan. And I have been Ben, not the Indy 500 Miles, Bagley.
<laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Catch you in the next one. This has been from the future. It is 500 miles. I was right. Nathan was wrong. Thank you. And this is Nathan from the future. I don't even really know what's up or down anymore. It's been such a crazy week in racing. So I'm just going to read this off of motorsport.com for clarification. The Indy 500 covers a total of 500 miles, hence the 500 part of the name. The drivers cover that distance by doing 200 laps of the 2.5 mile Indianapolis Motor Speedway Oval Circuit layout. Thanks for listening.